This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. All right, listeners, great topic for you today from a great presenter. I am on with Lucy Hendricks, who is a talented, gifted personal trainer and coach out of Kentucky. Today, Lucy is going to speak with us on the topic of pain and working with clientele with pain. So, you know, Lucy, like, like many of us personal trainers, found out early in her career that it is really difficult to try to only work with people that never feel any type of discomfort or pain, and that there are safe and helpful ways to do so. So Lucy's gonna talk us through her strategies, her process, her communication with rehab experts, and really everything about about the, the pain spectrum and what her clientele experiences. It's a fantastic topic. Lucy has some great insight and perspective. And for any of you that do experience any level of chronic pain or, or pain from posture, discomfort, or tightness, this is gonna be a great one for you with some great takeaways. So listen in. Definitely go seek out Lucy via the links that I will provide in the show notes on the website. And as always, please rate and review. All right, listeners, we are live. Lucy, thanks for joining today. Thank you for having me. Do you want to give the listeners a quick recap and history on you? Yes. So my name is Lucy Hendricks. I live in Lexington, Kentucky, and I own a gym with my business partner, Dave Wilton. And we train most of my colleagues' parents. That's how I like to describe it. So Mike, do you have uh, parents who work out? I do. I do. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. My mom is actually very active. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that, that's the rare story here. It is. <laughs> so a lot of fitness professionals don't have their parents training or their brother or sister and uncle. There's that one person that everybody can really think of who mm-hmm. hates working out, does not want to be active, doesn't want to work on their health. And we trained all those people. Well, I, and, and to answer your question differently, I do always say that family is the worst clientele. Because yeah. they just, they, we're just the last one. It doesn't matter how many, if you have multiple degrees or experience, it doesn't matter. We're the last ones that family spouses really, really want to listen to first. My mother is the only exception for me. Yeah. My mother, my mother's yeah. my best client, but that's the only one. That's where it Same. is. Same. Yeah, I, that's me too. My mom listens to me. Everybody else does not. And that's who we get. And most yeah. of the time, our clients are guilted into joining us. And I even have that in my copy for my website. It says, your spouse has talked about us for years and they finally guilted you into joining or someone bought you a gift card that is too expensive for you to deny. So now you have no option but to try us out. And people will come in their first day and I'll say, what brought you in? And they'll say, I didn't have a choice. I'm not really happy to be here. (laughs) And those end up being our best clients. And that's, that's most of our clients. Well, oh, and you took the question out of, out of my mouth already, but I was going to say, how many of those end up being 
your, your most long-term and best clients. Cause that's, that's how often how it happens. I would say 50%. I have a, and quickly before we get back into it, my one, we have a running joke that my dad and I used to have a monthly conversation where he'd come and say, I want to lose weight. And I'd be like, okay, great. Let's try this, this, and this. He'd go, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and then end of conversation. And then 30 days later, we would just repeat it over and over again. But I did have a former client who was sitting at the front, looking at brochures. And I went up and I said, you know, I just said, hi. And he said, he goes, Hey, I was wondering if someone could show me a form on a couple of things. I don't need that, that training crap. And that was his exact quote. And now six years later, I've seen Jim three days a week forever. And it is just, it's just funny how things start sometimes. Yeah. 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 Sometimes people are not happy or they don't know what they want and they don't know what they're missing out on, or they have an idea of what fitness and working out is. So then they think that's just not for me or the idea of what a personal trainer would do. And they think that's not for them until they actually try it. Yes. Well, and speaking of what we do, that's a really good pivot point into, into what our conversation is today. So today we're going to talk a lot about pain. And there's a lot of people out there that just from me saying that word would be like, whoa, pump the brakes. You're a couple of trainers, you know, they're gonna, and they're going to start using words like spectrum and scope of practice. And I think that's exactly the point. It's exactly what you and I wanted to sit here and discuss was what the personal trainer's role is in pain, where pain lives in terms of just the clientele too, of, of what has to happen when they do experience pain, what doesn't have to happen when they do experience pain and everything along that spectrum. So to kick off, you know, what is your definition of pain personally? And, you know, when did you start experiencing the fact that you were going to have to know about pain in order to be a successful personal trainer? Yes. So my, my personal definition on pain has changed throughout the course of my, my career. And in the beginning, I think it's important to understand where I came from to now the understanding around pain that I have now. When I first got into the industry, like most coaches, you learn that pain is something that is out of the personal trainer's scope. So when you're in the ethics class or you're going through that section of the certification, there's a part where it tells you what's within your scope, what's out of your scope. Examples of that would be like prescribing supplements or prescribing someone a diet or treating someone in pain. So you learn these things are not within your wheelhouse and our understanding of pain usually is pain means something is wrong, like an injury. And that's why it's out of our scope. And that's what I ended up learning when I got into the industry. If someone had pain, the step that you had to take was you needed to refer that person out because that person was injured and they needed to be fixed. And very quickly, I realized that that little set of instructions didn't really work well in the real life because I noticed a lot of people were in pain And my little rule follower that I am, I was like, okay, well, you need to go to a physical therapist. Like, this is out of our scope. I can't deal with you. And what ended up happening was people would get referred out and only a few would get better. A lot of them would come back and they would still be in pain. Or I would tell them that they had to be referred out or tell them that they had to go see someone. They were already seeing someone. So I had all these people that were experiencing pain and they were either already had gone through multiple physical therapists, some people even exploratory surgeries, and they still had this pain, or they were currently seeing a clinician who was managing that, and they still experienced pain. 
And so it put me in a really weird spot because I felt like I was doing something wrong. No one was talking about how to work with these people. You would go on Instagram, or actually it was Facebook at the time. <laughs> Instagram <laughs> later on. Yeah. You would go on Facebook and you would write something like, well, what do I do if my, my client can't do this push-up without shoulder pain? And then you would get flooded with messages saying, well, my favorite strategy is to refer out. Well, my favorite thing to do is send someone to a PT. But that person was already seeing a PT. Or that person has gone to PT and then just the shoulder just flares up when they do push-ups, and that's it. They don't have pain with any other stuff. Like, how do I deal with this? And there was zero information on that stuff. And every time I would ask, I would be told, well, if you want to deal with these people, you should go be a physical therapist. And what that ended up doing was it made me think that physical therapists weren't doing a great job because these people had already gone to PT. They didn't get better. So clearly these PTs suck. And when they would get better with me, just doing a couple exercises, it would make me even more frustrated that these physical therapists were, they didn't know what they were doing. And because no one told me you should learn about pain or this, this is a new way to think about it. Or because someone got better with a few exercises, Lucy, it doesn't mean that you fix them or it doesn't mean that their posture was off. It let me be in the state for like five years where I didn't know anything about pain, but I was working with a bunch of people in pain. It was really weird. This whole time I thought I was doing something wrong because these people were in pain, but I was the only person that was able to get them to train and have them feel okay because I was very detailed. I listened to them. I validated their fragile mindset because I had nothing else to go by. If they told me they couldn't lift more than five pounds, then I had no other option but to believe that. And so I was in this weird state for five years, not knowing anything about pain, working with people in pain, and thinking physical therapists suck because no one is getting better. And these people just have to stay not progressing, just doing assisted work constantly until I started working with a physical therapist online. He would do Zoom sessions. This is way before anyone else was using Zoom <laughs> train. And I got him to see this one client and she got better. And it was super amazing because I had sent her to multiple physical therapists and I just had to watch her for five years suffer without being able to help her. And then this person was able to, and then because he got her better, I got another person. And then the next weekend, another person, the next weekend, I remember thinking, oh shit, I can't let him know I work with people in pain because he's going to tell me I'm going out of my scope, letting these people work out, even though they're in pain. And one day he goes, oh, you work with people in chronic pain. It's like, no, I don't. No, 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 no. That's not what I do. (laughs) Um, These people are referred out. This person already went here. This person went here. This person went here. And I like, I had my argument already like set because I was always so scared that people would get mad at me. And he was like, no, that's amazing. People in chronic pain need this. They need sleep. They need community. They need to move their bodies. They need to feel safe moving. They need to feel safe exercising. They need greater exposure, which at the time I didn't know what that meant. So what you're doing is amazing for these people. And that was the first time that someone had talked about pain without connecting it to just an injury. And that was the first time that I realized maybe I'm not doing something wrong. Maybe 
treating pain and diagnosing someone is totally different than working with someone in pain and being able to help them and being able to help their quality of life. Like so many things can go in this other section of things that we can do. And this whole time I was just being pushed on the diagnosing and the treating, but it's just two separate things. One's with scope and one is not. Yes. And and that's, I love, that's perfectly sad because you're, I think that's exactly it. When people hear working with pain, they hear what you just said, diagnosing pain, directly treating pain, you know, attacking pain at its center. And there's a lot of gray area there. And you just listed a whole bunch of other things. They're just keeping them moving, finding movements that aren't painful, sleep, nutrition. Like there is a lot of things that help pain that are indirect of the treatment and diagnosis side of, of that long spectrum. And, I think, and maybe that's where this definition has to go of, of bridging the gap between those two things, which I think is a big thing, right? How do we, how do we bridge the gap as, how do we take what you do and make that just the standard issue protocol? Because that's what people are missing. You know, and you know, maybe we could talk for a minute about the client perspective of this. Yeah, you and I spoke about the idea of, at some point, pain starts to define people, especially if they're getting kicked around like many of us in the industry have done before, where it's constant, just, well, no, stop here, refer there. Okay, when you're done here, then come back here. And then they're frustrated because the pain isn't going away. And now that pain starts to become the goal, where it used to be performance and weight loss and strength gains. And all of a sudden, it is just being overshadowed by this pain, because that's all everyone wants to talk about with this client now. So have you seen a lot of that? Have you seen a lot of that frustration with your clientele in the past? Oh, absolutely. And I think the great thing about our scope is that's not our job to find the cause or the treatment or the thing that will make them better. We are just there to support them and work around this thing. So now the, that, that expectation is not put on me, which is really, really nice. Yes. And whether they get better or not, or whether we find a cause or not with another professional or another clinician, I stay the same. So I do see that, but that doesn't get put on me. But I do see the frustration and I have to be there to support them. I have to be there to hold space. I have to be there with all the uncertainty and also all of the failures. I have had people go through like seven professionals and they still don't get better. And so I get to see that, but it doesn't necessarily impact me or my relationship with them. I just have to kind of go with them or go through it with them. So let's talk about your process a little bit. You Mm -hmm. have someone, you have someone, any of the examples you've already listed comes to you and they say, Hey, I want to accomplish X, Y, and Z. I also have this pain and forget what the pain is for now. That really doesn't matter. What, you know, where do you start that process? You know, what is, what do you want to talk about assessment processes or just day one conversations? Where do you kick off with one of those clients? Yeah. Like what is my strategy? Yeah. So first one would be making sure that the bad things are ruled out. So we go back to the physical therapist that made me realize how pain is influenced by many factors My next question there was, well, how do I know when it's okay to work with these people? And he gave me the line of, as long as the bad things have been ruled out. 
And that's the biggest thing. If the bad things have been ruled out, then you know that the pain that someone's experiencing in their shoulder is not a tumor or something that is going to cause nerve damage that they won't be able to reverse. So when the bad things have been ruled out, you now know that this person is cleared to exercise and it's not something that they need to go get an MRI for. So making sure that that is step one when someone comes in. And I will say I've never had that situation not be that. Every single time someone comes to me with a chronic issue, things have been ruled out. I've never had a situation where someone says, I've had this pain for five years and I've never seen a medical right. doctor. And so I always want to make sure that people realize that the chances of someone coming to you and the things haven't been ruled out when it's a chronic issue is so slim. I, I haven't seen it happen. So the fear that you're going to get someone who shouldn't be there is very minimal. And the more you learn about pain, the more you'll realize when you need to refer this person out. So that's step one, have the bad things been ruled out? If the, the case is yes, then the way we introduce our training to this client is we are really good at meeting you where you're at and finding what you can tolerate. And that's how we introduce the idea that we're not going to push them beyond their capabilities because a lot of these people feel very fragile. They feel like they're not capable mm -hmm. of doing much. They think that the only things that they can do are rehab exercises. And so the language that I use is very specific. We want to find what you can tolerate versus we're going to run you through a few assessments and run you through a few correctives and making sure, you know, making sure that everything that you do is safe or fixing your posture, because that's what, that's what they're looking for when they find out that a trainer does a really good job at working with someone in pain. They come in with the mindset thinking this person's about to fix my movement and fix my shoulder. And I want to get rid of the, that mindset. And I put it towards Let's find what you can tolerate and slowly work up from there. So when you come in, we're going to run through a consult. I don't even say assessment yeah. or movement, uh, right. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. And we're going to just do a few exercises just to see how you handle that. And if you handle that well, the next time you come in, we'll just do a little more. And that's how we end up working with these people. We find a couple exercises that they can manage on the ground, see how well they do with that and then slowly build up from there because they think that they can't tolerate much. And even if their physical body might be able to tolerate a little more, the mind is really, really playing a huge role on their ability to manage what you're trying to get them to do. So we find it best to just do a couple exercises build the safety. I want them to leave the gym thinking, okay, I can do this. <laughs> that was just like five minutes of exercise. That, that was cool. I think I can manage this. And then they come in and we do a little more. And then they come in and we do a little more. And before you know it, a couple months in, they're just like your regular clients squatting, step ups, split squats. It just takes a little longer. So let's get into kind of your, you know, I know you said you don't use the word assessment, but kind of assessing a situation and, and how you go about that process. Yeah. So what I mentioned earlier was we only do a couple exercises just to see where they are, how they handle that. And depending on how they handle that, we move up from there. So if they flared up a little bit, if they trust me, I convince them to do the same thing. If they just flared up for a day, 
do the same exercise, see how you handle that. You probably will be okay. And that usually is the case. If they don't trust me, then I break down that exercise and I modify things and I just kind of validate what they're feeling. If they thought a certain exercise or certain move was problematic, I don't try to convince them otherwise. I just get rid of it and I see where they are there. Then when they move on from that, when they move on from just a couple exercises and they move on to a full-on semi-private, their first session is just basically a long warm-up because they're deconditioned, but also because we like just having a session for them to learn supine exercises, quadruped exercises, kneeling exercises. So they really learn the cues, the lingo, the positions. So it's the skill learning day. That's how we call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on the skill learning day, they do very basic stuff like a 45 minute warm up. And at the end of that, I ask them, Hey Mike, on the scale of one to 10, how crushed are you? 10, you're not going to be able to walk tomorrow. I pushed you really hard. And you would be surprised how many times it looks like the person's not doing anything. They're not sweating. They're not shaking. They're not saying something's burning. And they give you an eight and nine or nine. They're like, I don't know, eight, nine, 10. And it gives you an idea of how they perceive themselves and how they perceive their work. They are perceiving themselves and working at max effort even though they did nothing. And so that allows me to assess where these people are because if they tell me eight or nine, I'm not gonna do more the next session. If they think they're at their max, I say, okay, cool. So that's all we're gonna do today. Uh, Next time you come in, we're doing the same thing. And so now they're like, okay, cool. I'm not gonna do more (laughs) because they told me in the beginning, this is probably just gonna be one day. But there, I quickly adapt to the information that I'm getting. I'm like, yeah. next time you come in, you're just going to do this, and it's going to be great. And then they leave happy. If they give me a three or four, I don't know. I'm not feeling anything. I quickly adapt. I'm like, okay, cool. Walk over here and push the sled. Or come over here and let's do a squat. And I might add something yeah. to the session. I'm like, next time you come in, you're going to be doing this and a tiny bit more. So getting their perception of where they are is very important. And then the second thing that we do is doing the same thing over and over again. So most people give people an A day and a B day. So different exercises on A day, different exercise on B day. We find that if we give people the same stuff every single day, their tissues adapt faster. So now the likelihood of them being sore when I push them a little more is not going to be there because they've been doing the same thing over and over again. And so it's a really good sign when they are a couple weeks in and they've been doing the same thing over and over again. And I push them a little more, I add a little bit of weight. I maybe take away the assistance and I add a weight and they say, whew, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to walk tomorrow. I'm gonna be sore tomorrow. But then they wake up the next day and they're not sore. And now changing their perception of how hard they worked like they thought they were a max effort, but they woke up and they felt fine. So clearly they can do more. And so it's just changing their perception of what's it like to work hard and what's it like to exercise and feel okay the next day. And that's how we work with these people. We keep things the same. We figure out where they are mindset wise, and we try to meet them where they're at with that stuff. It's accumulating wins, right? If I could, you know, probably paraphrase in a little way of, you know, I, building confidence back in that client, when they do go through a movement, they're like, oh, I just assumed that would hurt. 
Mm-hmm. Or you know, a lot of times I talk about the next day too, of, you know, it's, it's what happens in front of me. And then let me know how you feel tomorrow. Cause your body's going to tell me a lot that way too. And wake up the next day and you're like, you know what? I was a little sore, but I feel like it was in the right places, quote unquote. You know, like it wasn't my back that hurt this time. It was actually my, my, my hips actually felt some, some good soreness and my biceps and things that are normally overshadowed. So a lot of it is just, is accumulating those wins and building confidence, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it depends on where they come from. Sure. If they come from a physical therapist that the physical therapist said, these people know what they're doing. You can trust them. That is totally different than having someone come in and they just found you on the internet or their friend was like, they're so good with working with people in pain. You really need to go see them. But they they trust their, their friend who's our client, but they don't trust us yet. And they've been fed a lot of stories and with their the medical professionals. So when you get that person that doesn't trust you, that's totally different than someone who does trust you. So my approach definitely changes and the people that don't trust me, I go very slow. I don't even try to like change their beliefs like I would someone who comes in and they do trust me. Sure. So can we talk about this? You know, people have you know, a different relationship with, with pain and just body sensations when they start experiencing tightness, whether it is specific pain, tension. Can you talk about that relationship that people experience? Yes. And that relationship is something that I believe trainers can play a role in. Every time I talk to physical therapists on how I get people to change the relationship with pain, every physical therapist I talk to says, wow, I wish all my patients can go see you. So this is something coaches can play a role in because most people are under old beliefs and outdated beliefs around pain just like I started in my career thinking pain equals injury, pain means something needs to be fixed. Because of these old beliefs, our behavior around pain is when something hurts or when something starts to feel stiff, our instinct, our intuition is to rest, not let it move, protect the area versus moving around, letting it adapt, getting some blood flow in. So what we try to do is slowly start to change people's behavior when these things start to happen. So if someone starts to feel back, their chronic back pain comes and flares up, instead of thinking that they need to cancel the gym session. They need to book a massage, go see their chiropractor and get their physical therapist, to put their disc back into place, have them change a the behavior slowly by thinking, oh, I had a bunch of work deadlines. I didn't go on my daily walk. Right. I missed the gym twice last week. So maybe these behaviors of lack of movement is leading to me feeling more pain. And usually it's an amazing thing to be able, usually it takes like a year or two to be able to slowly start changing people's behavior around that. You can't just tell people that they're back flared up because of their lack of movement when they've been told that it was because their disc is out of place or because their ribs are out of place. People have these beliefs very ingrained. So it might take a few years to slowly start changing them. And what we do is we use their own experience to slowly start changing it. An example of that would be someone's back flares up 
and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I, maybe I need to go see the chiropractor. Maybe I need, maybe something's out of place. Maybe I need to stop doing all these exercises. Maybe I need to just do stop squatting. And then you can now use their own experience to slowly start changing the belief. They're like, Hey, John, remember when you first started walking on the treadmill and your toe hurt for like three days? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. And we're like, you started, you kept walking. We kept using the treadmill, even though it hurt a tiny bit, but then every time it hurt less and less, and then you adapted to it. Like, Oh yeah, cool. Remember when you had that crazy work deadline and you missed the gym for like three weeks. And then you had that crazy back flare up. And when you started getting on the elliptical every day after that, and that started feeling better. And you like start using all of their past experiences mm-hmm. where you've already kind of planted that seed of how adaptable the body is. Just because something flares up doesn't mean that you can never do that exercise again. Or just because you start to feel stiff and achy doesn't mean that you need to rest. And you start to use their past to slowly start changing their relationship with their pain. Do you find you often have to just help them become more aware of those feelings in specific situations? You know, do you, do you have a talk with them where you say, Hey, next time you do have a work deadline, you do have to sit your desk for 16 hours a day for two days straight. Just think about it. Think about how you feel, you know, the day after that, in order for you to accumulate these experiences, are you helping them just become more aware of a day to day? No, because I struggle with that because bringing awareness to this type of stuff is important. If you're looking at something like diet, like bringing awareness to where you're feeling cravings or why you've been like all like the self-awareness, the Mm -hmm. the putting it in a diary every day of how you felt like I can see why it's so important. But when it comes to pain, I struggle with that because you also don't want people to overthink it. You don't want people to think about their pain every single day. Like think about how your back feels every day. I don't want to put that on them. So that's where I struggle because I find that I just become their self-awareness <laughs> yeah. and I remember all these things. I remember like the trips. I remember the stressful situations. I remember the sleep deprivation. So then I can build these timelines for them and then build the story for them at the end. And they're like, Oh wow. Yeah. That makes more sense versus making them do it because I don't want them to overthink. And yeah. clear, clear example of that would be my client started coming to me because she wants to avoid giving a hip replacement. So she came from a physical therapist. So she was cleared to exercise. She started feeling really good. No more symptoms of the burning sensation or the, uh, the, the hip flexor tightness that she was having or the pain down her knee that had gone away. She went from being able to walk two minutes without symptoms to miles, which was amazing. She was biking, she was getting stronger. So for the first month and a half of her training, she was feeling really good. No symptoms, amazing. Then she went on a vacation and she missed for two weeks. Didn't really move, traveled by car because of COVID. Then there was a death in the family. Then she drove all the way to Chicago for 10 hours, sat at the funeral. Then work got crazy all day meetings. She started, she started doing a presentation that she was not prepared for. And she texted me and she said, work is too crazy. I'm going to have to miss the gym. I was exposed to COVID. I canceled on her. So I like see all these things happen and I know that it's going to impact her. 
And then sure enough, last week she comes in, like, I don't know what's wrong. Walking now is hurting. My hips are hurting. Maybe I shouldn't do that exercise. Maybe it's that exercise. Maybe it's this. I'm going to go see a PT. Maybe she can tell me. And this other PT that she was going to see, it just wouldn't be good news <laughs> because she feeds a lot of stories, like very fragile mindset stories. And I had to bring awareness to all this stuff. Like, hey, first, let's go back to where you, when you weren't feeling symptoms, because people forget all of a sudden, it's like they felt like this this entire time and they don't even think of the time where they felt good. And I say, let's go back to when you weren't feeling symptoms and she couldn't remember. So then I had to remind her, I'm like, before your vacation, remember that? She's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, you were biking, you were doing all this stuff. She's like, yeah. Okay. So let's go back to that. Let's go back and see the behavior that you were be doing around that time. You were training, you were walking every day, you were biking on the weekends, you were very active. And then you went on vacation and then the funeral and then this and then work. And she's like, oh yeah, all of that. Yep. Yeah. That, that did happen. So when I hear you say all this stuff, even though I was the one that said it, um, I'm seeing that you're not moving. And sometimes the lack of blood flow can really impact how you feel. For example, if I were to glue you down to a chair and not let you move and not let you get up, your butt would probably start to hurt. Not probably because it's injured, not because there's something out of place or the arthritis had like just came out of nowhere. It's probably because of the lack of blood flow and our body really loves to move. So when you don't move, it sends you signals, hey, I'm just going to create some pain here to get you to move. So it's telling you to do something. And when we don't move in our lives, our body can kind of feel kind of icky. And she was like, that makes so much sense. I have never thought about that. That's amazing. Okay. Like, so do you think you can add some movement on your days that you're not at the gym, get back to your walking, do some squats. And I gave her a little example of a circuit that she could do. And she walked out of the gym going blood flow week. (laughs) It's so cool. And like that right there, slowly changing her relationship with pain, getting her to think differently. And sure enough, week later, she feels better. I asked her, how are you feeling? She was like, moving more, sitting less. I feel better. Uh, it's great perspective and, and great points. I, I do struggle with the same thing because you want to start bringing awareness to habits and to, and to adjusting habits. But like we already talked about, pe- some of these people have already been you know, defined by their pain and driving that point home further is only going to right, right. Keep, keep solidifying the bad habits, not the good. And it, it brings up the example of the kid who's got four A's and an F and everyone wants to scream about the F Instead of saying, well, why do you have four A's? What goes so well in the good classes that we could be repeating in, in the bad, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I love this. I, I love the example. And that leads me into general activity. You know, you, you focus a lot, obviously, on what you can control, which is in session. When a person comes to you, you can adjust and you can find movements that are less painful and you can help them with that. But in the end, if they're leaving you and they're still going right back to their desk for the next 12 hours and then going into their couch for an hour and then sleeping for an hour and then coming back to you again, even the next day, but it's probably not, it's probably two three or four days later, that's a lot to overcome for you. So how much of your activity or your conversation, excuse me, 
does have to include activity outside of your sessions as well. Oh, so much of our conversation. But if you find out a way to get people to listen, <laughs> let me know. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can't. Um, no, no, I'm serious. It's it's hard. Personal trainers are not life coaches. Right. It's not what I get paid to do. I don't have, it's not the right environment. I train multiple people at once. So it's not the time to start changing your habits outside of the gym. So I do the best that I can. And the best that I can is getting like mass education by promoting a speaker. And an example of that would be my friend, Dean Guido. I don't even know if that's how you say his last name. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds right. (laughs) He talks a lot about walking and that's something I've been trying to get my clients to do is more walking. And they're like, well, the 10,000 thing it's made up like, no, I know. I mean, Technically, it's a made-up number, but we don't have any other way to tell how much you're walking on a daily basis, so it's important. So I've been pushing the walking for the last few months because I get obsessed with things. And what we ended up doing is we pushed Dean to speak to our clients, and we pushed that talk just to get people to buy in. And he did a little little workshop through Zoom. I think 12 or 13 people attended, and two people really changed their habit after that. We went... We had one guy who went from one to 3,000 steps a day to now to 6,000, which is huge. That's double what he was doing. And to me, that's a huge win, and it was 100% worth it. But that's my way of getting people to do things outside is trying to educate the masses, always sending emails. And people tell me they read the email, so like planting seeds. But I wish I could just make sure that that's something that I check with every single client. Yeah. I'm a gym and that's not the service. That's yeah. It's too much expectation for a personal trainer to be able to do that. It is a lot. And it's, it's really difficult because we also don't want to fight a losing battle where we feel like if we, if we have no control, even if we see someone three days a week, which is let's be honest, a lot for a one-on-one session for a lot of, you know, for, for a lot of our fellow trainers out there, they know, you know, sometimes you're seeing someone one hour a week. That's a lot of turnaround, a lot that happens outside, especially if their expectation is going to be back to that single hour or those three hours need to be what get me all of my results. Even put pain aside for a second, that needs to get me my weight loss and my strength gains. So it's hard because you're right. It, you know, technically it's not what they came to do before, but we also, if we don't talk about it at all, it's an uphill battle with a lot of our clients. And that's something that we, in my facility here, we, it's a challenge we we probably take on where a lot of people would say maybe more than we should, but in my mind, it's, I don't know how to, how to not take on that challenge too, which is maybe a different conversation for, for a different day, but I love it. And to answer, actually, I'm sorry, that's where I wanted to go with, to answer my question with something you already said, I think you already do a good job with that too, because by building these experiences up, you do create those tools for further conversations. You can go back and say, no, you're right. You haven't, lost weight or you don't feel better yet, but let's go back to what you've been telling me for the past four weeks. Here's what you haven't done. Here's what you have done. Here's when things were good in the past when you were at the weight you wanted to be at. So I think you, it sounds like you do all, you know, it do a good job with that already. Yeah, I try. My best one was my meditation challenge that we did. We had half of our clients do it. It was a six week challenge that I created. And from that, multiple clients still continue to meditate every day. And this is 2019. And then one lady, I mean, she took so 
she just deep dived into meditation that it helped her change all, all of her diet issues that she had. It was really cool. It changed her life. Very cool. So to me, that's, that all, that's all worth it. Oh yeah. 100%. And, and again, going back to experiences, one client experience can become a big help for you for your other clientele, right? Just mm-hmm. if we, if we go back to the point of this conversation and pain, you know, you've built up your reputation where people trust both physical therapists and general population trust to go to you because now you have other examples of people you've helped. So, you know, it doesn't have to be just their own person experience. It can be their peers as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want to go into a little bit about the, the relationship with the physical therapist and the challenges that sometimes live in that arena. You know, you and I spoke the other day where it, I'm, I'm very lucky where I have a physical therapist down the street who we work hand in hand together. We have completely different companies. There is no financial incentive for us to work together outside of the fact that both of us share a perspective that the better we work together and the better we communicate, the better all of our, our their patients and my clientele are. What are the challenges that you've seen in the past with, with working with physical therapists? And what could be some of the frustrations that exist for the client who might be going back and forth between a PT and a trainer who aren't communicating? The relationship between a coach and a physical therapist can be the best thing ever, or it can be a complete nightmare. And speaking to everybody through Instagram with coaches all over the country, it seems that they have the negative side of things, which is the worst thing ever. And not a lot of people are able to find what you have, which is someone where you are on the same page and you communicate and you communicate with each other, not like with, not through the client where there's miscommunication or throwing some, someone under the bus, like, oh, Mike shouldn't have done this exercise, that kind of stuff. So my experience with physical therapists has been very negative, but I have a few positive experiences. My negative experiences come from people who see the client on a reoccurring basis. And that is a case with a lot of people, some clinicians, and it's not just physical therapists. Also, sure, yes. right. So clinicians in general, the ones that keep people for a really long time on a reoccurring basis, those are the people that I struggle with the most, because if they're seeing a patient or a client on a regular basis, that means that they're pushing out the idea that this person constantly needs to get fixed. And it pushes people into this fragile mindset that they're constantly having to put their bones back into place. They constantly have to put their discs back into place. And so it makes it very hard for me to coach that person or progress that person because any type of flare up or any level of discomfort or soreness, they demonize it. Like, oh no, your shoulder blade flared up because this rib is out of place. So every little discomfort or tweak that someone may feel, they connect it to something pretty scary. And so these people cannot progress. And the idea that I can just call that person up and get on the same page is so unrealistic that I either have to just let that happen, which is what I do now (laughs) and do my best Because if I try to go against that physical therapist, an example that would be, I had a client for four years and she stuck with the same pressing weight for four years, 15 pound dumbbell press. So she's not going to get injured by doing that. 
And she's not going to get injured by doing two more pounds. Like her tissues have adapted. And I had to finally convince her to go up and wait. And then she had this weird shoulder tightness around her bicep. And she happened to see the physical therapist the next day. And then the physical therapist like, oh, your bicep and the tendon, it's out of place. And she like pushed the shoulder back in. And then she came back to me and said, oh, this person or the PT said that shoulder blade retraction is wrong and I shouldn't be doing that exercise. And I tried to explain that just because she experienced some discomfort doesn't mean that she really injured herself. And I explained that she had been doing the same weight for four years. So her body had adapted to it and just two more pounds probably won't end up in an injury. The discomfort was probably just you doing something new. And when I try to go against that physical therapist, now the client stopped trusting me. Sure. And I find that the best strategy for that is you just keep training them because them being fragile and not progressing at the gym and doing assisted work and half kneeling and rolling on the ground is so much better than them being at home scared. Right. So I've come to a place where if that's the case, I just have to deal with it, which is sad. It's so sad. And I vent to my colleagues because I can't vent to them. <laughs> right. It, I mean, some of these stories and the codependency that they develop is, in my mind, life. It's ruining their life and their quality of life. But having yeah. them in the gym is better than not. But then there's a positive when you get a physical therapist that promotes fitness and promotes you and builds this collaborative environment, then the relationship is amazing because you can both work together and you can make sure that the message is the same. The message is consistent. And when something does happen in the gym, they have your back. If their knee hurts for three days then the PT will say, you know, just keep moving. You're good. Versus what did Lucy do to hurt you? Because PTs have said that. What did Lucy do to hurt you? (laughs) Um, So when it is a great relationship, it's awesome. The client progresses so much faster. I get to change the relationship around pain so much faster. If they have a flare up for three days, I get to de-threaten it. Like, don't worry. By the next time you do this exercise, you'll probably be good. And if they trust me, they're like, okay, cool. Let's try it again. And it's amazing. And they can also help you when the client doesn't trust you. I have also, which is kind of manipulative, but I have told the physical therapist like what to tell the client. I had one client a few years ago, did not want to progress in anything because of the stories that she had been told by other clinicians. So I begged her to see this one clinician and I told him exactly what to say. I'm like, okay, so when you ask her, hey, do you do split squats? She's going to say only assisted because I'm scared to add weight. Then you're going to say, well, I think adding weight is important. And then she's going to (laughs) say, and it worked, it worked. They did the session and he's like, hey, so do you do any split squats? It's like, oh yeah, but just assisted. Okay, cool. So when it comes to fitness and rehab, adding fitness is a very important part of you rehabbing. So I think it's very important for you to push yourself. (laughs) And I had him say that just to get her to feel safe progressing. So that's what a good relationship for you. The PT can help you out when someone is scared of fitness. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that can go both directions, right? I mean, if, if yeah, you yeah. do it, if you do have that, that relationship with a pizza can say, Hey, help me out, <laughs> you know, in, in the other direction that, that you can, you can feed that because I think you made, you made the great point of people are human and this is still, it's kind of the, the marketing thing, but it's still a, a no like, and trust situation often where, you know, actually here's a good example too. This happens a lot with my high school athletes where they have me come in as the strength coach. They have a PE teacher who wants to work out a different way. Let's not even say nothing's wrong. Let's just say different. A PE teacher that wants to work out a different way. And then maybe an actual coach of their sport who wants to do something different. That's just a lot of voices mm-hmm. in that, in that kid. And that's a little child at this point in that kid's head. And what I've seen over the years is really that's there. The logic is not going to be what, what wins in that situation, usually the athlete's going to go in the direction of whoever they like the most. If I really like my PE teacher, I'm probably going to say, forget the rest. And um, I think that's just human nature. And unfortunately that doesn't stop at adolescence. I think that that often does grow even later. It's loyalty, right? We all be, a lot of us just stay loyal to, yeah. um, you know, I have, I have a vendor that probably the prices aren't necessarily less than somebody else, but at this point, I really like my vendor. We've been together forever. And, and to keep that relationship is worth a couple extra dollars. So in a long winded way, I, you know, I, I think sometimes you, you have to work with the beliefs until you gain that confidence in the person. So, you know, being humble sometimes is tough, <laughs> but, um, but keeping their clientele is better for them and for you than, battling a belief where you lose them altogether and then you don't get the chance to help them later. Oh, absolutely. And that's where using their own experience to change their beliefs later on comes in because they come in day one and they say, you know, I can't lift more than five pounds and you tell them they can like the body's adaptable or I have had had clients where even their PT who really believed in strength and didn't want people to feel fragile, didn't validate them enough. They, I think one PT told my client who had knee pain, the tissues have healed. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be in pain. And I love that he promotes, you know, people heal and you don't always have to be fixed, but she feels broken. She feels like her knees broken or not broken, but injured from an old injury and just invalidating that just breaks the trust. So you really do have to meet people where they are in the beginning and assess where they are and then slowly work up from there. Yeah. And to be clear to all the listeners, I think it's, it's just important to say that we love the rehab experts. They are such a pivotal role in everything. You know, I think our goal as should be their goal. It should be a shared goal is again, bridging this gap and just making Mm -hmm. sure that, you know, in ideal world, each of us would have this ideal situation where the patient, the client has really a really good team of people in their court. This way, when things do happen, their team can go to bat for them and get them through a situation and back to health and results as fast as possible. You know, and it's just, it's unfortunate that sometimes situations are not positive in either direction, you know, PT to the trainer, trainer to PT, but in the end, we are advocates of of having a team behind every, every patient. Yeah. So for people that are not in Lexington, Kentucky or in, in Downers Grove, Illinois, who are experiencing discomfort. And, and let me like, you know, we, we cover the steps, like you said earlier, they have, they've eliminated the bad, right? They know it's not 
a tear, a tumor, God forbid, you know, anything worse than that. So they've eliminated those, those bad options. What do you recommend for people just as a starting point who unfortunately don't get to, to travel to a trainer like you or me? I wrote an article on this and it's not out yet. I wish I had it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good plug. I like it. <laughs> Training yourself to tolerate a new activity. And okay. so if you take the basic concepts and principles of what I just said with my process is finding where you're at to so find what you can tolerate. So find the basics of it. So if you're wanting to try a yoga class or you're wanting to play tennis, like Google basic yoga activities or basic tennis activities and slowly see where you are and build up from there. I feel that one hour boot camp classes or one hour classes, one hour yoga classes is just too much for most people because they've never done it before. So start with something basic, five, 10 minutes, see if you can tolerate that and then slowly work up from there. But with whatever you do, don't start with an hour long in a uh, camp. start with 15 minutes, see if you can tolerate that and then add a little more and then add a little more because what ends up happening is people try a tennis class for an hour and a half and then their shoulder hurts for two weeks. And they're like, I can never do tennis. I just say it hurt me. But right. if you could have just started with the racket at home with a YouTube video, like, can you even hold the racket for more than 10 minutes without being sore? Right. Most people who've never done it before, they probably get tired after 10 minutes. So don't be afraid to start at zero and don't be afraid to interview coaches and see yeah. if they're a good fit. Do they work with other people in pain? Because Working with people in pain is a niche and some people are good at it. Just like I am not the best coach. If you are a fat loss client, who's trying to lose more than a hundred to 200 pounds, that I'm not, that's not my niche. So find coaches that maybe niche into that and don't be afraid yeah. to interview them or try them out. And if it doesn't work out, go somewhere else. Cause I think people don't, they don't want to feel bad. So <laughs> they, don't, they don't want to say, you know what, yeah. it's not going to work. I'm going to go try someone else. They feel already loyal to the person because they signed up. Don't feel bad. Right. So go somewhere else. Yeah. I, that's, that's fantastic advice. Start, start slow and start where you're at and accumulate your own wins and accumulate your own experiences. And when that article does come out, please let me know. Cause I would love to share it as a follow-up for my listeners to, to read up on more. Perfect. I will. So Lucy, I'm looking at time and I, I think we covered a lot of great stuff today. A lot of things for people to think about and to consider and hopefully to encourage them, especially for those that do have some levels of pain and discomfort to still want to stay active and pursue the right path because just because you're in pain doesn't mean you can't pursue your, your other goals still. So thank you on that note for, for being on today. And where can people find you? I am active on Instagram. So Lucy underscore Hendricks. And my website is coachlucyhendricks.com. And then my gym's website is enhancinglifegym.com. All right. Well, I will have all those in the show notes. Lucy, again, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your expertise. And I really love that people have trainers like you out there to help them through these situations because it is, it is still a rarity, getting better, but it's still a rarity. And hopefully you're, you're teaching other trainers too, because we all need it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Yeah. Stick around, please. Uh, listeners, thank you for listening. Definitely check out the show notes so you can find out how to find Lucy. I'll follow up with that article and we will see you all next week. 
Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at marhealthandperformance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day and see you next time.